and welcome to That Tech Pod, where we discuss all things e-discovery, data privacy, cybersecurity, and tech innovations. I'm Laura Milstein, and I know a little bit about technology. And I'm Gabby Schulte, and I don't know that much about technology, but I am really curious and want to learn. That's why each week we're talking to heavy hitters in the industry to help us break down these topics. Today, Gabby, who are we talking to? Today, our focus is on data privacy and some of the bigger themes surrounding that topic. So I think we have the perfect guest for just that. We're talking to Jeff Jokish. Jeff is the CEO and data privacy researcher at Privacy Plan. Jeff transitioned into data privacy four years ago and is certified as a CIPP US. He's previously built search engines, mortgage information systems, knowledge graphs, content and content curation systems, and more in internet startups and large financial businesses. Jeff, welcome to the show. Ah, well, thank you for the invitation. Glad to be here. Jeff, before we dive in, uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got started in the industry? Uh, yes, certainly. Um, I've sort of had a windy road getting here. Um, I started out, uh, I've got a degree in organizational behavior from Cornell in their uh, industrial and labor relations school. But I didn't really uh, take that path. Uh, uh, sort of started out as an entrepreneur and uh, did a few startups, uh, worked for a few large financial organizations, which I guess you just said. Um, but I've mostly... Uh, wandered around in, in the, the tech startup uh, arena, and uh, probably the biggest uh, role that I played was was as the director of uh, content uh, for ChaCha, which was a, uh, a large tech startup in Indiana. Uh, we uh, brought in about a hundred million dollars in startup funds uh, to create a, a text-based search engine and uh, had a lot of fun and and a lot of learning, a lot of knowledge doing that. And that's actually where I I got my first introduction to privacy uh, in the form of uh, COPA regulations and uh, CAN-SPAM regulations. Uh, uh, After I left there, I came to Florida um, and sort of did a little bit of a transition and sort of got my first real introduction to data privacy as the director of marketing for uh, CSR, which is a, uh, um, a consulting organization. They also do some software sales in the privacy arena. And that's when I really realized I wanted to make that transition. And so what I've, re- uh, what I've done uh, with my, my privacy plan organization is sort of merge the kind of stuff that I was doing with ChaCha in, in building knowledge graphs and data sets and, and a lot of that kind of uh, um, data work, cognitive computing work, uh, taxonomy work, and built that into a privacy practice uh, where I take data privacy work and build that into knowledge sets. All right. I'm going to ask you um, just a few random questions. So first question that I have for you, and this is a, this is maybe a trick question, maybe not, but do you pronounce it data or data? (laughs) Um, I probably pronounce it whichever way. uh, I don't know, whichever way comes out. I'm not sure I really care. Uh, (laughs) 
that's a that's my favorite and probably more of a trick question. Fair enough. <laughs> that's a good answer. Yeah. Either way. Either way. So just uh, to kind of dive into the digital aspect, our lives are so digital these days, and so being digital and dealing with privacy on that kind of scope, it's you know you're kind of always teetering a, a line. Is this right? Is this secure? Is this safe? What are we doing? And and I'm kind of curious, and maybe this is something that you can help us with of with the digital world, how do we keep our information or who who do you trust with your information? How do you trust that our information is safe? Um, and yeah, that's a who and how question. Well, I think safety of your information is, is pretty impossible to, to keep your information safe, right? In today's world. Um, and it's a, a particular problem for companies, right? No matter how much cybersecurity they put up and, and how carefully they try to uh, steward your data, uh, it's pretty impossible to keep, to keep it completely safe. Uh, so uh, it's an impossible job, but they've got to uh, obviously do more than a lot of companies are currently doing. But as an individual, um, I think there's a lot of steps that you can take uh, that people just don't do because it's inconvenient. Um, you know, passwords for 90% of the country uh, are pretty poor. You know, uh, I think that if we just frankly used longer passwords, we'd be a heck of a lot safer. I've moved to passphrases. And I think a lot of a lot of people just really don't understand that you don't have to have a complicated password in order to have password security. Um, if you take a you know an eight digit or a ten digit or a twelve digit password that has you know uppercase lowercase strange characters numbers all that kind of stuff that you know, that we used to think was important for password security, um, forget about all that. Right? If you instead make your password twenty or thirty characters long, um, as long as it's not a phrase that's going to come out of uh, the dictionary or a newspaper or a book, then you've got much more security length is more important, right? So if you just grab some random words that are never going to be seen together uh, and it's long, that's password security. Yeah. So if you say um, peg leg Omaha Navarro, right? That is a good password. Because Jeff, you're you're talking passwords and it's really making me think, though, you still have to remember your password. I think about all those people who bought Bitcoin and then all of a sudden Bitcoin was like 50,000 <laughs> of Bitcoin. And people are like, what's my password? What is it? <laughs> so no. I agree. I would definitely you, be one of those people. Remember your password. <laughs> so sure. so we can't do like green eggs and ham. One, two, three, four. Now your password's going to get banned if you oh. do that. Oh, man. Everyone's going to hack me. <laughs> <laughs> well, but you can you can use things that... that um are related to you. You just can't use the things that are closely related to you, right? Um, yeah. So you can use word sets that are part of affinities to you. You just don't want them to be things that are going to be so tied to you that are, they're easy for, for other people to guess. And that's really hard to communicate to the average person, right? My new password is going to be, Jeff told me to make this password 87. <laughs> not bad, not bad. 
<laughs> well, I mean, that kind of goes, you said, you know, it's, it's hard to trust people. Do you think we'll ever get to a place where, you know, will we will start seeing sort of a crackdown on privacy and our data being shared or anything? Or do you th- think, you know, there's still a lot of ways to go in, in terms of that? I think it's uh, that crackdown's already coming. Um, you can actually see that if you look at um, uh, some of the surveys that are that are coming out now, where the attitudes uh, about tech companies have plummeted. Right? Um, I don't know what the exact numbers are, but it used to be that people gave tech companies a real pass in terms of of, of how they felt about them. But now um, they don't think nearly as much. And that attitude has changed really in the past couple of years. I, I think part of that is because uh, of the censorship issue or perceived censorship issue uh, of tech companies, uh, which I think is a, a little bit of a mirage, but it's also because of the privacy issues um, around advertising and, and, and other issues. Um, and that's about privacy. Jeff, can you uh, scare us? I know that sounds like a, a random statement, but uh, every time I see anything that you're saying, it, it scares me. And that's the best way to describe data privacy to me is be scared and be prepared. Um, and so with that, can you can you scare us? Can you tell us any story that everybody listening is going to start being really um, scared? Yeah, I, I want to scare the audience today. That's what I'd like it's to do. It's a horror podcast this. as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Surprise data privacy. Are you scared yeah i think that i think the one that i think is the the scariest to me and i've used this before so you might have heard this one maybe not um is about de-identifying data right it's very easy for us to take a couple of data points and be able to figure out who somebody is right and so let's say if either of you two were to walk into a bar and obviously that doesn't happen much in the pandemic anymore right but if you were, right, and you were to meet some guy who was mysterious, right, and he was to somehow figure out what your birth date is, your date of birth, okay, with that one piece of information, okay, and the fact that he knows you're a female, right, and the fact that you're probably in a bar that's in your own zip code, right, those three pieces of information, this person has a 50% chance of being able to uniquely identify you and find out who you are. I thought you were going to say this person has a 50% chance of being your soulmate, and I was going to go to the bar tonight. That would be the good side of the equation. The bad well, side is scary. they might be able to find go to a data broker and find out every single thing about you and track so, you down. So what you're saying is 50% chance this is your soulmate, 50% chance you just got your identity stolen. Yeah. That is scary. Or, or you have a stalker now. Yeah. Um, that is scary. And, and actually I was, um, it reminds me of this story that I read, um, kind of maybe like in the last year or so talking about, uh, face recognition. Um, I think it was around the time when that, uh, there was kind of like an app for face recognition and it was going to be kind of made available to sort of anybody. Um, and just kind of the ripple effects of that, you know, obviously, 
to some extent, uh, law enforcement are using tools like that. But if it's in the hands of everyday people, you know, that scenario can turn into a for sure stalker situation where all you really need is you don't even need those data points. You need the facial recognition technology. Um, so that's that's kind of scary to think about kind of in the future as, you know, we're advancing our technologies. Um, do you think there's anything like that that's, you know, we should be kind of uh, any trends like that that we should be sort of paying attention to? I mean, other than facial recognition? Yeah, or um, or if, if that, but maybe it's more in the forefront than people are kind of really realizing. Hmm. Well, I think that all the stuff that's going on with, with biometric identifiers is is a little bit scary. Um, I'm not sure if, if everybody out there realizes that um, when when you lose a biometric identifier as opposed to just a normal piece of a personal identification, right? I mean, you can change your, your password, you can change your phone number, you can change your address uh, if somebody were to get a hold of that, right? But you can't change your fingerprints, right? You can't change your face, right? And not very easily, right? Um, you can't change your DNA. So if people are identifying you based upon these biometric uh, markers, uh, there's no way to get them back if somebody has stolen that information. Um, so it's it's gone for good. So if somebody um, gets your you know facial information uh, into a database and somebody hacks that information, that's gone for good. Now somebody else has the ability to track you, and there's no way to recover that information. It's it's gone. I mean, you are now trackable by whoever has that information. And that's pretty damn scary. That is really scary. Um, so kind of on the flip side of that, you know, sort of um, trying to learn more about you kind of before this interview, um, you know, kind of looking at your LinkedIn, if I may quote from it, you said, um, you know, we can improve the world, protect our privacy, battle disinformation, promote positive online conversations and even market more effectively when we understand the underlying processes. So I thought that was really interesting and I wanted to bring it up because, um, you know, there is a very scary side of that data privacy, but what about the, the side that you're talking about that we can actually improve things and have better conversations? So can you expand a little bit more on that and then talk a little bit about the underlying processes? Well, I think that what we have to do is, is, is sort of move into a direction where we control our own identities. Um, there are a lot of people that are trying to figure out how we do that now. But in the current system, we don't control our identities. Um, we're giving all that identity information away. And, you know, I, I had an experience where I, I shopped for something online on my laptop, uh, a Chromebook, um, and then I didn't buy that item. And later that night um, on my iPad um, in Instagram, signed in, you know, a di on, a, on a different OS, on a different device, uh, a different app with a different email address, I got an ad for that same product. Right. So they tracked me across OSs, across devices on different apps with a different unique email address. That is pretty amazing tracking. Right. Um, 
And so that's how much they know about me and are able to track me across all those different things. And that's pretty scary. Um, so they know a lot about my identity and I didn't give them any of that. They took all of that. Right. I mean, maybe there was some amount of consent that I gave them through clicking boxes and stuff, but there wasn't any actual affirmative consent where I actually willingly thought about giving that identity information away. Um, and so we need to change how that process works. So it's not like everyone thinks that we don't want to give advertisers some amount of information so that they can target and give us reasonable ads for information that we want because this, uh, I may actually want an ad for that product, right? But it's pretty freaky and scary when those ads show up in ways that we don't want them to, right? Um, and so we have to figure out how we can consent to those kinds of advertisements in ways that don't violate our privacy. And there are a number of different ways that that technology can evolve. A lot of them are starting to happen now. One particular way that I like is a concept called self-sovereign identities. And that concept is sort of built on blockchain. Um, but I think there's some other ways to implement it as well. And lots of companies are sort of exploring this. There's some other ways where you can do it without that. I think it may be some similar technologies called data bunkers, where you might have some first party data that, that gets collected by particular advertisers. And that advertising data stays with that first party. Um, sort of complicated to explain, but... Let's talk about the self-sovereign identities first, right? So self-sovereign identities would essentially mean that you would control your identity. It would essentially be sort of like on the blockchain, but then a different pieces of information about you, like say your citizenship, right? Could be attached to that, right? And your membership in a club could be attached to that. And your membership as uh, part of Facebook, if you were part of that, could be attached to that. And then if somebody wanted to query about your identity, right? That self-sovereign identity could say, yeah, um, Laura exists, right? Or yeah, right? Gabriella is a citizen of the United States. Yes, right. But you control how much of your identity gets allocated out to each of those different people that are request requesting, right? So some sites may only need to know that you're not a bot, right? Some sites may need to know that you are a citizen. Some sites need, may need to know a lot more, but you control how much information goes out as opposed to the other way around. Now, in, in terms of the data bunkers, those are actually sort of interesting. And that would be more like, say, um, Levi Strauss created a data bunker. And so you started buying Levi clothes, right? And you gave them a bunch of your information and they would keep all of that information in a data bunker, right? And then maybe they had the ability to target you with ads, but that data would never really leave their premises, right? They might be able to share it with other people, but it would never actually leave their data bunker. Um, only people would be able to sort of get some insights from that, but they would never actually know that it was Laura or Gabriella that that information was coming from. 
if that makes any sense. It would only sort of be able to get yeah. some insights about you, but not actual the identity of you. Yeah, that's uh, no words is what I'm going to go with on my response to that. But um, it did make me curious if you're a cryptocurrency guy. Yeah, just anytime I hear blockchain, I'm like, I'm it. <laughs> I am a big cryptocurrency person, and uh, so I I love it. So, side note, not I'm not real. real. I'm not real invested in it, but but I am a, a very much into it in terms of a technology. Exactly. I, I, yeah. believe I believe it. I say exactly, and I'm like, no, I'm invested in it as well. Well, hopefully, it succeeds. <laughs> Side note on that. Um, well, uh, Jeff, I had a one last question that we wanted to kind of ask you. So you had actually put something on back to your LinkedIn. It seems to be our thing, stalking you on LinkedIn. I guess we're in that 50%. Uh, but we noticed that you had put something on where you had asked, can you describe GDPR in seven words or less? And obviously, as you tagged me in that, I got to thinking, because no one has really asked that before, at least not to me. And it was a challenging question. So out of curiosity, have you found the perfect response? And if so, would you share it? Um, you know, I don't think there really was a perfect response, um, but there was a lot of really great responses uh, to that. Um, you know, I put that together because uh, I was working on a project where I actually had sort of two goals. Um, I'd done a previous project where I put together this, this privacy grid uh, that listed a bunch of U.S. laws and a few few other non-U.S. laws um, and talked about sort of that privacy quilt of, of how, complex, uh, how complex that privacy legislation is. Um, but I wanted to do sort of a, a deeper dive uh, on that and look at the impetus for each of those pieces of legislation. And as part of that, I thought it would be good to, to also sort of give a little synopsis of what those laws were for people that didn't really you know, get it um, or didn't really know. So I wanted to have sort of a quick little seven, seven word synopsis. But when I released the original privacy legislation, I was getting some feedback um, from people, you know, saying, ah, you know, you should have included this or you should have done that. You know, everybody's sort of a critic, you know, when, when you release something big. And obviously I had a few things that I wanted to tweak as well. So it was it was good to get some feedback. But I noticed that that, you know, uh, particularly some Europeans were, you know, a little bit sensitive about how um, GDPR was positioned in, in some of the other European legislation as well. And so I thought that maybe I better get their perspective on how I was talking about GDPR. Um, and so that's why I put that post up. And I really wasn't expecting, you know, that, that, that everybody in the world wanted to, would want to weigh in on it. But, uh, but it is such a, you know, a seminal piece of legislation that, that really affected the privacy landscape that I guess maybe I shouldn't have been so, uh, so astonished at the response. Um, and I thought it was, it was pretty, pretty darn cool, you know, that everybody had so many different takes on it from, you know, this is sort of the, you know, the Magna Carta of privacy to, um, you know, uh, stuff that's probably a little bit unprintable, right? <laughs> um, of, yeah, it's great, but I mean, where's the enforcement, you know, but in, in maybe a little bit juicier words. No, right. Those were perfect words. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
Uh, well, yeah, no, it makes sense. People want to weigh in, and that, that's cool to see that that grow like that. Um, but Jeff, we probably could keep talking about this for a super long time, but unfortunately, um, we're you know not paid enough to 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 do that. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> so we want to just thank you for your time today and for you know filling us in on some of these big bigger themes surrounding data privacy. Um, I, I think that people can realize that I am one of the ones that say data and not data and, uh, <laughs> which just so everyone knows is incorrect. It's data <laughs> for those of you who are listening data it's a big war that we have. Um, no, but I think we learned a lot, uh, in terms of, you know, maybe just educating, you know, people can educate themselves a little bit more about how to stay safe and how to maybe, you know, stay away from some of the scary sides of data privacy and look into some of the more opportunities to creating, you know, kind of like you said, a better, a better world out there for everybody. So thank you so much for your time. Great. It was wonderful to be here. So Laura, we just talked to Jeff Jokish data privacy expert, what were your tech takeaways? Well, first of all, if you want to steal my data, you need consent. And I'm not giving you consent unless you earn that data consent form. <laughs> that I'm you got to earn it. Um, <laughs> no, I think, yeah, I think all of that was very valid. And I'm a little scared. I feel like every time we talk to somebody in the data privacy world, uh, I do end up being very scared because mm-hmm. I think you brought up some different things, right? Um, the kind of ads sort of finding your information and following you across different systems. That's definitely happened to me. For um, sure. And you go to yeah. a bar, you think you're just having a drink with your soulmate, and it turns out no. he just stole your entire identity. You're done. You're taken. Where's Liam Neeson? Well, I, I also th- well, I think maybe it was part of stealing identity, but I also think he was saying about that person being able to find you like and stalk you. Yeah, of and course. And physically but, harm you. But Gabby, sometimes like that might be cool to people. I don't want to judge. You know, you don't know who our listeners are and they might be hoping for that kind of romance. So uh, no judgment here. I get it. But no judgment here. You know what it means? You know, you go to a bar and you're like, oh, and he's like, I'm not your soulmate, but I'm going to follow you. And you're kind of just like, that's nice. OK. I don't think anyone wants that, Laura. Yeah. It's, <laughs> have you seen you? <laughs> If you want to hear more from That Tech Pod, check us out on LinkedIn at That Tech Pod. Don't steal our data, but feel free to stalk us a little bit. Shoot us an email at thattechpod at gmail.com. If you want to be on the show, if you know somebody else who wants to be on the show, or if you want to hear more on anybody that we have spoken to or anybody that we should be speaking to. And if you want uh, an easy way to help out the show, go to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating and review uh it should take no less than 60 seconds and um or i mean no more than 60 seconds and uh you know it's just a a nice way to support the podcast support us without you know having to give us any of your hard-earned money but if you want to do that we can we can figure out ways for you to do that as well we also accept bitcoin 